0: Good evening. Mitch McConnell forces a delay in a vote to increase stimulus payments. Is the virus out of control? A Brexit deal in the works? And is a potential Biden nominee a war hawk in Dove's clothing? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, December 29th, 2020. The Justice Department has announced it won't bring federal criminal charges against two Cleveland police officers in the 2014 killing of 12-year-old Tamir Rice, saying video of the shooting was of too poor quality for prosecutors to conclusively establish what had happened. A state grand jury had already declined to indict the officers. And in another police killing, an officer on the scene of last week's fatal shooting of Andre Hill in Columbus, Ohio, didn't perceive any threats and didn't see a gun. That's contrary to a claim by Adam Coy, a white officer who killed Hill, who is black. Hill was fired yesterday by the Columbus, Ohio Police Department. And President-elect Biden addressed the nation on his plans for dealing with the COVID pandemic after he takes office next month. He says the Trump administration hasn't helped, but that's about to change.
1: This will take more time than anyone would like and more time than the promises from the Trump administration have suggested. This is going to be the greatest operational challenge we've ever faced as a nation. But we're going to get it done. But it's going to take a vast new effort that's not yet underway. And uh, we also know there's a vaccination hesitancy in many communities, especially black, Latino, Native American communities, who have not always been treated with the dignity and honesty they deserve by the federal government and the scientific community throughout our history. That's why we will launch a massive public edu- cam- education campaign to increase vaccine acceptance. We'll do everything we can to show the vaccines are safe.
0: Biden's statement came as Colorado officials today reported the first known U.S. case of a person infected with the coronavirus variant circulating rapidly across much of the United Kingdom. Researchers have now detected the more transmissible variant in at least 17 countries outside the United Kingdom. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday blocked Democrats' push to immediately bring President Donald Trump's demand for a bigger $2,000 COVID-19 relief check up for a vote. But the leader did schedule a vote tomorrow to override President Trump's veto of the defense bill.
2: So, Madam President, for the brave men and women of the United States Armed Forces, failure is simply not an option. I would urge my colleagues to support this legislation one more time when we vote tomorrow. On Sunday, President Trump signed into law another historic bipartisan rescue package. It will provide major support to American families through what we hope will be the home stretch of our fight with the coronavirus. During this process, the president highlighted three additional issues of national significance he would like to see Congress tackle together. First, as he explained, the president would like further direct financial support for American households second is the growing willingness on both sides of the aisle to at least reexamine the special legal protections afforded to technology companies under section 230 of the communications decency act including the ways it benefits some of the most prosperous most powerful big tech firms and the third subject since every american regardless of their politics should feel the integrity of our democracy is beyond reproach is exploring further ways to protect the sanctity of America's ballots while continuing to respect the federal government's limited role in standing behind state and local government who actually run elections. Those are the three important subjects the president has linked together. This week, the Senate will begin a process to bring these three priorities into focus.
0: Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, pressure is mounting on the Republican-led Senate to follow yesterday's House vote meeting, the president's demand to increase checks from $600 as the virus crisis worsens. Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders spoke in favor of the measure earlier today.
3: The working class of this country today faces more economic desperation than at any time since the Great Depression of the 1930s. And working families need help now. Last night, the House of Representatives, with a two-thirds majority, 275 to 134, two-thirds bipartisan vote, moved to increase the direct payment going to working families from $600 per adult to $2,000 per adult. The House did the right thing. I congratulate them. And now it is time for the Senate to step up to the plate. Tens of millions of Americans have lost their jobs and their incomes. These families in the middle of the winter now face the threat of eviction and the possibility of being thrown out in the streets. Hunger in America is at the highest level that it has been for decades, with moms and dads struggling to feed their kids and working families lining up mile after mile to get emergency food packages. We are even seeing an increase in grocery store shoplifting as desperate Americans try to keep their families from going hungry. All of this taking place in the wealthiest country in the history of the world. The House has done the right thing. By an overwhelming vote, Democrats and Republicans voted to increase that $600 direct payment to $2,000. 78% of the American people think that was the right decision. They're hurting. They want help. The leaders of our country, President Trump, President-elect Biden, Minority Leader Chuck Schumel, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, are all in agreement. We have got to raise that direct payment to $2,000 that the bill be considered read a third time and the Senate vote on passage of the bill without intervening action or debate. Further, that if passed, the motion to reconsider be considered made and laid upon the table.
0: Senator Bernie Sanders, the president's last-minute push for bigger checks has deeply divided Republicans. The two GOP senators from Georgia, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, announced Tuesday support for bigger checks. Perdue said on Fox News, "I'm delighted to support the president." Loeffler also said she backs the $2,000 checks. Meanwhile, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris received the first her first dose of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine live on television that was earlier today in Washington, D.C., and urged Americans to get vaccinated for the virus.
4: Literally, this is about saving lives. It's literally about saving lives. I trust the scientists, and it is the scientists who created and approved this vaccine. So I urge everyone, when it is your turn, get vaccinated. It's about saving your life, the life of your family members, and the life of your
0: community. The vice president-elect's vaccination comes just over one week after President-elect Joe Biden received his on live television. Harris, still a United States senator from California, also suggested Senator McConnell introduce her own stimulus bill.
4: Well, I I actually have a bill for that. Uh, I recommended that folks receive a $2,000 check. And so I would urge Mitch McConnell to put my bill on the floor for a vote.
0: Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. The California Senate seat Harris' is vacating was filled by Governor Gavin Newsom last week. The Democratic governor named Secretary of State Alex Padilla, the son of Mexican immigrants. He'll be the state's first Latino governor since the Golden State was founded. 170 years ago. The decision was unpopular with some black leaders in the state. San Francisco Mayor London Breed called the Senate decision a real blow to the African American community. Even with a the vaccine, there's no sign of a let up in the pandemic that's killed 335,000 Americans. Just yesterday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported 160,000 new cases of COVID in the United States. Dr. Anthony Fauci says the latest COVID surge is a surge on top of a surge. Well, it's just a question of we're in such a a, a, a a surge as as we call it, Jim, that has just gotten you know out of control in many respects. We try to get people to just tone down the travel. For those who have already done the travel, the thing to do now is to try not to congregate with large numbers of people in social settings like dinners, try to keep it restricted to the immediate family and the immediate household. Because once you get to large numbers of people at a dinner inside, poor air ventilation and circulation, that's when you get in trouble. And that's what we're concerned about. Dr. Anthony Fauci is director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. New York City began vaccinating firefighters against the coronavirus today. More than 5,800 FDNY members have contracted COVID-19 since last spring. More than one third of the department firefighters are not required to get the vaccine, and only 60 percent of the department has opted to get vaccinated. Mayor Bill de Blasio admits difficulties with convincing people to get the shots,
5: but he says acceptance of the vaccine will grow. The way the federal government mandates the process is very cautious, if you will, and that does add steps into the process that takes time. We need the state guidance in terms of the categories of people, and the more that expands, the faster we can go. The fact is, there has been real care getting used to this vaccine and figuring out the best way to implement it. And I think that's been important in the first days to make sure everyone was comfortable and it was working right. But I want to see this vaccine campaign take off. I really do. And I think we're going to see that more in the coming days. I don't know about other countries and what level of hesitancy they have or don't have. I think we're going to see some initial hesitancy in some quarters. But I think the more people see folks in their life take the vaccine successfully and see it safe, see it's effective, know it's for free, uh, you're going to see more and more take up. So this number is going to grow rapidly, especially as we get the authorization to go farther.
0: Mayor Bill de Blasio New York City has vaccinated about 70,000 people, while the nation of Israel, of comparative population in the same time period, has vaccinated more than one million. Meanwhile, vaccinations for the New York Police Department are on hold indefinitely because of the shortage of doses. Adding to the dread of the pandemic is a warning from the World Health Organization, Dr. Mike Ryan head of whose health emergencies program says COVID is just the beginning, with more deadly pandemics waiting in the wings.
5: This is a wake-up call. We are learning now how to do things better, how to do science better, how to do logistics better, how to do uh, training better, how to do governance better, how to communicate better. We've developed a whole new science of epidemiology and advanced behavioral science in this way. The planet is fragile. Uh, We live in an increasingly complex global society. These threats will continue. If there's one thing we need to take from this pandemic with all of the tragedy and loss, is that we need to get our act together. We need to get ready for something that may even be more severe in future. In this, we must honor those we've lost by getting better at what we do every day.
0: Dr. Mike Ryan is head of the World Health Organization's Health Emergencies Program. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Turkey and Britain signed a free trade agreement Tuesday as the United Kingdom prepares to leave the European Union. The UK left the EU on January 31st but remains subject to the bloc's business regulations and within its customs union during a transition period ending midnight on Thursday. The deal comes less than a week after the UK and EU announced the Brexit trade deal that had been elusive and raised fears of a hard Brexit by the UK without any agreements in place. Prime Minister Boris Johnson made the announcement on Christmas Eve.
6: And so I'm very pleased to tell you uh, this afternoon uh, that we have completed the biggest trade deal yet, worth £660 billion a year, a comprehensive Canada-style free trade deal, between the UK and the EU, a deal that will protect jobs across this country. A deal that will allow goods, UK goods and components to be sold uh, without tariffs and without quotas uh, in the EU market. A deal which will, if anything, allow our companies and our exporters to do even more business with our European friends. We've taken back control of every jot and tittle of our regulation in a way that is complete and unfettered. And the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice will come to an end. We will be able to set our own standards and for the first time since 1973 we will be an independent coastal state with full control of our waters Uh, with the UK's share of fish in our waters rising substantially from roughly half today to closer to two-thirds in uh, five and a half years time after which there is No theoretical limit beyond those placed by science or conservation on the quantity of our own fish that we can fish in our waters. And uh, those fishing communities will be helped with a big 100 million pound program to modernize their fleets and the fish processing uh, industry.
0: Prime Minister Boris Johnson, every jot and tittle. Hmm. Ambassadors from the 27 European Union nations gave unanimous approval to the deal on Monday. The agreement needs approval from Britain's parliament, which is scheduled to vote Wednesday. But author and journalist Ian Williams, born in Liverpool, says the Brexit deal is a fig leaf for rapacious capitalism.
1: In a binary sort of way, it's a deal because alternatively it would have been no deal, which would have been even more catastrophic. Um, But... In actual fact, it leaves so many strings untied and so many, so many loose ends. I mean, the Irish border is my favourite. You know, it, it, it's a sort of quantum border. It's there and it isn't, and it's in the Irish Sea and it's on the Irish. What's the, the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland? And it's it, it, it's a joke. I mean, uh, uh, my best friends are Irish. I come from Liverpool, and it's always been. S- smuggling to and from Ireland has always been one of our ma- one of our major um, national c- civic pursuits. Uh, smuggling across the border was always one of our famous civic pursuits. So th- those an- th- those ancestral skills will be back. But there's lots of other things that are left untied. I mean, I've only just seen this morning. You know, the the great emblem of Thatcherism was, of course, the recovery of the Falklands, a.k.a. Las Malvinas from the argentinian fascist invasion however this leaves the falklands major source of revenue the fisheries up in the air apparently they're not able that there'll be a tariff wall on fish from the falklands into europe which there wasn't before and it's going to cause a major hit on the local economy here we have boris johnson the great patriot and flag waver is jumping up and down on margaret thatcher's legacy and no one seems to notice Because this is the bit that's along with it, like where your comparison with Trump is quite right. These guys are completely Teflon coated. Nothing seems to stick to them. They negotiate the worst deals. That people end up far worse off than they were before. You know, there are people starving literally. There are people homeless, and they're not being held to account for it. And with Brexit, I mean, it's even more chaotic. There are hundreds of thousands of Britons who, for various reasons, are working in Europe, they've been pretty much hung out to dry. There's been some provisions for them. Big questions about their health care, whether they can actually stay where they are, whether they're allowed to work. You know, the whole trade deal. Europe, uh, Britain is an offshore island of Europe. It depends on Europe for most of its trade and most of its food. And no one knows where it's going. I mean, today we hear one of the papers reported that Lufthansa is getting fleets of cargo liners to do, um, uh, to, to do a reverse of the Berlin airlift and take food to Britain. Uh, this is independence? This is it, it might be independence, but not as we know it. The money will flow to and fro. Mm-hmm. It's lost some position in Europe as a banking centre, but the, the amount of money, the, the, the whole fisheries argument, was about a couple of hundred million in dead cod and dead herring. The... The City of London makes more than that in a microsecond from trading. They'll carry on making money. They'll carry on exercising their power. They'll carry on financing private equity. They'll carry on buying health service provisions. They will carry on lending money to us so that we can buy what we need at inflated rates. I mean, they're setting up the perfect setup in Britain. And Boris Johnson is like Donald Trump. He's a perfect cover. You know, he's got this bumbling bonhomie, and everyone thinks he's one of us. You know, the, the difference with Boris Johnson over Donald Trump is, of course, that Boris Johnson bumbles along in Greek and Latin and Donald Trump has difficulty bumbling along in English. But the end is the same. You project this bonhomie, you make dog whistle calls to racism and xenophobia, but then you act like an international elite. We don't have to abide by rules and regulations because we don't like them. And nobody holds them up because everybody's guilty. You know, if if everybody has their hand in the till, it's very difficult to shout thief when somebody takes money out.
0: Journalist Ian Williams is author of Untold, the real story of the United Nations in peace and war. And half a world away, the Saudi-led coalition fighting in Yemen said on Friday a mine laid by Yemen's Houthi rebel group hit a commercial cargo ship in the Southern Red Sea, causing minor damages but no casualties. The bloody war has killed thousands, including children, as a blockade threatens to starve the nation. An attempt by the United States Congress to defund the war effort in Yemen was vetoed by President Trump last year, but President-elect Joe Biden isn't signaling a policy shift. Biden is reportedly considering former United Nations Ambassador Samantha Power to head the Agency for International Development. But Michigan State Professor Shereen Aladami says Power's role in persuading President Barack Obama to invade Libya in 2011 should disqualify her from the job.
4: She has this interesting way of thinking about interventions. She calls them humanitarian interventions. And I think she uses that umbrella term to justify these incredibly violent military interventions that are regime change adventures that the U.S. has been involved in for decades and continues to be. I think what's disturbing about her role particularly is that there's this moral incentive in her mind to do this, that Libyans deserved U.S. intervention because they were suffering under Muammar Gaddafi, for example. And there's no regrets. There's no looking back and reckoning and realizing, even in hindsight, that this was a terribly destructive, violent attempt at destabilizing, and and it was successful in destabilizing entire countries and regions.
0: Aladami adds Samantha Power also supports intervention by the U.S. in Syria and Yemen. Interventions, she says, were anything but humanitarian.
4: She was part of that group in the Obama White House that pushed for this Yemen intervention and didn't really seem to have anything negative to say about it until it was Trump's war.
0: The U.S. is claiming that it has human rights as its top priority. Trump said America first, and yet their policies were similar.
4: When it comes to foreign interventions, there is no distinction, or there's very little distinction between U.S. Democrats or U.S. Republicans. In the end, they are furthering a U.S imperialist agenda. And I don't know how else to say that. I mean, you just see the products, right? It doesn't really matter if it's Iraq or Libya or Yemen or Syria. There have been interventions by the U.S. and, of course, decades in South America and so on. And it doesn't really matter if it's a Democrat or a Republican. They seem to agree. This seems to be the one thing that brings them together. Whatever Trump says, and whatever the Democrats say, in the end, it's an economic decision. Um, Yemen has played a major role in providing a lot of arms deals military contracts and arms deals contracts through the Saudi coalition and the UAE coalition to the U.S. This has been an incredibly financially enriching enterprise. And Trump has been very clear about that. He says, you know, the Saudis pay in cash. And he was gloating about how much he sold to the Saudis during his time in office. Obama sold much more in weapons to the Saudis than Trump has. But countries like Canada, where I'm, where I'm also from, for example, has had their largest arms deal to Saudi Arabia and refused to cancel the contract despite their outrage at human rights violations elsewhere. Countries in European countries like Germany and Spain and Italy and Yemenis don't really have a lot of representation. They are, you know, it's a poor country in the Middle East that happens to have a control over a strategically important position geopolitical position but doesn't have the wealth to defend itself or to advocate for itself and so you have this coalition that continues to bombard and blockade the people of Yemen and the people of Yemen know that this is a U.S. war they see the bombs dropping and the bombs say made in America the optics are very clear for Yemenis that this is a U.S. enabled U.S. fueled Saudi war in their country.
0: The U.S. goes around and says countries are invading other countries and we can't allow that to happen. The Houthis are not the legitimate government of Yemen. The Yemeni government is under assault.
4: The Hadi government is based inside inside Arabia, has been since 2015, because he has no legitimacy in Yemen. He will be assassinated if he he lands in Yemen, stays in Aden even. Uh, Aden in the south is where is occupied by the Saudi-led coalition. So supposedly he should have power there, and he doesn't. You know That gives you an idea of how unpopular he is in Yemen, but he's trying; they're trying to force him upon the Yemeni people. And they throw this line around about him being democratically elected. He was appointed. A one-man election is not an election at all. It's an appointment. This was after the 2011 Arab Spring chaos that saw the former president, Saleh, toppled. And Saleh transferred power to his longtime VP, who is Hadi, and Hadi has since failed to bring the Yemeni people together and the Houthis took advantage of that and moved in in 2014. Mm-hmm. And so the U.S. says that they're interested in democracy in Yemen. The Saudis, who are a monarchy, say they're interested in democracy in Yemen, which is ironic. Hadi's government continues to be based in Saudi Arabia and has no power or influence in Yemen. And the people running the government in northern Yemen are the Houthis and their allies. It doesn't really matter what the U.S. says. It's about what the Yemeni people want. And the Yemeni people don't want to be occupied by Saudi or UAE or the U.S., and they want to sort their internal problems by themselves. They haven't had the opportunity to do that, and they've been starving and trying to fight off this incredibly powerful coalition at the same time. What we're seeing is a slow choking of 30 million people who are suffering the consequences.
0: And as Michigan State Professor Shireen Al-Ademi, Abdrabah Mansour Hadi was the president or is the elected president, according to the United States of Yemen. He was forced out in 2015. In his annual Christmas message, Pope Francis called for peace and reconciliation in several countries, including Yemen. And finally, Alan Camphora, one of nine wounded student survivors of the May 4th, 1970 shootings at Kent State University, has died as a 21-year-old junior at Kent State. Ken Fora was one of hundreds of anti-war students who protested Nixon's invasion of Cambodia. On May 4th, he was 176 feet away from Garsman when they fired on unarmed student demonstrators. He was shot through the right wrist within the first 13 seconds of firing. Four students, Allison Krauss, Jeffrey Miller, Sandra Lee Scheuer, and William Schroeder, were killed by Garsman's bullets. Kent State University's president said Ken Fora's legacy will never fade at Kent State, just as Ken Fora never allowed those killed and injured on May 4th, 1970 to be forgotten. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, December 29th, 2020. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City for the WBAI News. I'm Paul Dirienzo. Thanks for listening.